If you join me in Bible study this morning, please open up your Bibles to the book of Malachi, which means my messenger or my angel. You realize the word angel and the word messenger is the same Hebrew word. It has the same meaning. A messenger is one who speaks on behalf of another. So if King David sends out a messenger, we call him a messenger. If God sends out a messenger, we call him an angel. So angel doesn't necessarily mean a created heavenly being with wings that breathes fire, etc. Of course, they don't really breathe fire, they just stand in it. But you know, that's close. We are in Malachi chapter 4, unless you've got a Hebrew published Bible, in which case it's still chapter 3, because there is no chapter 4. But most of us are probably using an English published Bible. We are in verse 3. Ready? The first word is you. But you who? We have to look back up to verse 2 to find out who the you is. Who are we talking to and about? But to you who fear my name. To those who have faith in God. To those who have been reconciled to God by faith. You shall trample the wicked. What are the wicked? Those are the ones who will not follow God. They do not fear God. For they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet. How do you get ash? You burn something. Fire in prophecy is a picture of judgment. Which means that when judgment day comes, who will survive it? Those who fear my name or the wicked? Those who fear my name. In Isaiah 66, it's called the servants versus my enemies. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, we looked at last night, is those who choose life and good over death and evil. You shall trample the wicked, for they shall be souls under, your, under the soles of your feet. They shall be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day that I do this. What day? Talking about the day of the Lord. It's talking about judgment day, which is yet to come. The day of the Lord begins with what? The rapture and the resurrection. If you don't believe it, by the time we finish Zephaniah, you will. After the rapture is the seven-year tribulation period. After that is the messianic kingdom on earth, then the new heavens and the new earth. From the rapture and resurrection to the new heavens and the new earth is that day. On the day that I do this, says the Lord of hosts. What is the phrase, the Lord of hosts? Adonai Zavaot in Hebrew. What does it mean? It means there's an end times prophecy and that the Lord leads the armies in what? In judgment. In wrath. Bringing the fire upon the earth. So... What verse 3 is trying to tell us is, if you'd like to repent and get right with God now, that's a really good idea. Because there's a day coming when the wrath of God will be poured out in this world and you don't want to be a part of it. So right after talking about the difference between you who fear my name and the wicked, verse 4 begins with a commandment. And the command is the word remember. That word remember in Hebrew means not just to think about, but to retell. Keep a finger here and go back to Deuteronomy chapter 6. We just sang from Deuteronomy chapter 6, the Ve'ahavta, which is Deuteronomy 6, 5. But after those words comes verse 6. You're all going, well, duh, we knew that. 
But let's see what, what verse 6 has to say. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6. And these words which I command you today shall be where? In your heart. Not just in the head, not just to think about. But what does it mean to have them in the heart? Desire. To desire to do it. Actually put it into practice because you want to. What is John 14, 15 say? If you love me, comma, keep my commandments. It's from the heart. If you're trying to keep God's commandments, but it's not from the heart, it's not out of love, it's not out of faith, is it going to please God? Does the scripture say without faith it's impossible to please God? The answer is yes. He's not just looking for actions, he's looking for the actions that originate in the heart. Verse 7, you shall teach them diligently. Does that mean every year or so? No, it means regularly, constantly. Drill it in there. Teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk to them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. Meaning, when's a good time to study the scriptures with the children? All the time. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. The word as also means like. Just keep that in mind. They shall be as frontless between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house. I wonder what that word doorpost is in Hebrew. Mezuzot. It's in singular, mezuzah. What do we put on the doors of our houses? A mezuzah. Why do we put it on the doorpost? Because that's what the word means. It's doorpost. Alrighty, back to Malachi chapter 4. Remember what? The law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel with the statutes and judgments. How many times have we heard people say the law of Moses, Moses made that up. It didn't come from God. That's just his opinion. What does this say? The law of Moses, which I commanded him. So what's the source of the commandments? Did Moses sit down with a grin on his face and say, I'm going to get those children of Israel? No. These are from the Lord. Which I commanded him in horror for all Israel with the statutes and judgments. The first thing I want us to do is talk about all Israel. Why doesn't it just say, which I commanded him in Horeb for Israel? So it includes the Gentiles that are grafted in. Was there a great mixed multitude that came out of Egypt with the physical descendants of Jacob? Prove it. Go to Deuteronomy. Go to Exodus 12. That's the better place. Exodus 12. Exodus 12. People forget that at Mount Sinai, there were not just the physical descendants of Jacob. There was also a great mixed multitude made from all nations of the world, which is why when God spoke in Exodus 19, he spoke in all the languages of the world. Our English Bibles kind of obscure that fact, because it says in Exodus 19, there were thunderings, Right? That word thunderings in Hebrew is kalot. It means voices. So God spoke in all the different languages. That's why in Acts chapter 2, when Peter speaks and everybody hears in their own language, as they're studying Exodus 19, because it's the Feast of Shavuot, people go, ooh, ooh, this is from God. But in Exodus chapter 12, what do we see? Verse 38. 
And then verse 49. But first, verse 38. A mixed multitude went up with them also, and flocks and herds, a great deal of livestock. How long was Israel in Egypt? Please don't say 400 years or 430, because neither is correct. About 210 years. When the scripture says in Genesis 15 that after 400 years they're going to come out, that's talking about his descendants. And how many children did Abraham at that point have at that point? None. 30 years later, he has his first child, who then 80 or so years later has more children. And when they go down into Egypt, there's all 12 tribes. So 70 people go down into Egypt. And 210 years later, they're in the millions. Either women had 10,000 children apiece, or it's counting the great mixed multitude that came out. And that's what it is. They're counting the great mixed multitude. But in the same chapter, Exodus 12, look at verse 49. The very first chapter that mentions the mixed multitude coming out of Egypt with the rest of the children of Israel says, one law shall be for the native born and for the stranger who dwells amongst you. So as they're coming out of Egypt, God tells them that the same law, the same Torah, the same commandment, statutes, and judgments that apply to the physical descendants also apply to the mixed multitude that are grafted in. Is that the only place we see that? It is not. Let's go to Numbers 15. Because it's important to know what we mean by all Israel. Did God have a mean old English teacher that gave him a thousand page book to write? The answer is no. So if God puts in a word like all Israel, you got to stop and go, what's he trying to tell me? Numbers 15, verses 15 and 16. One ordinance, what's an ordinance? It's a commandment. Shall be for you of the assembly and for the stranger who dwells with you. The ger hasha'ar is the way we put it in Hebrew. An ordinance for how long? Forever throughout your generations as you are. So shall the stranger be before the Lord. One law and one custom shall be for you and for the stranger who dwells with you. To put it in New Testament terms, John chapter 10, how many shepherds and how many flocks? One shepherd, one flock, going one direction. Well, let's take a minute look at some of the other New Testament references to back up what we're saying. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 2. Who wrote Ephesians? Paul did. I would say to whom, but then you say to the Ephesians, and well, you'd be right. Ephesians chapter 2. Starting in verse 11. Therefore remember, there's that same word from Malachi 4. Remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh. So is Paul talking to believers out of the Jewish community or out of the Gentile world? Out of the Gentile world. Who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands. Which means the Jewish believers are looking down on the Gentile believers. And it shouldn't be that way. Verse 12. That at that time that before you got saved. You were without Messiah. 
being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. That is, before you got saved, you were not a part of the commonwealth of Israel if you're from the Gentile world. And strangers from the covenants of promise. Did the covenants made between God and Israel apply to the Gentiles before they got saved? No. What happened when they got saved? Romans 11, they were grafted in like a wild olive tree being grafted into the cultivated tree. Having no hope without God in the world, but now in Messiah Yeshua, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Messiah. Free himself is our peace who has made both one. What does both refer to? The Jewish believers and the Gentile believers. According to Paul, once you get saved, it no longer matters whether you were born a Jew or a Gentile. Has broken down the middle wall of separation. That's that place in the temple where the Jewish people put up a sign that said Gentiles can't go past this point under penalty of death. Did God tell us to put that up? No. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity. What is enmity? Enmity is hatred that separates people. Meaning we can no longer hate each other, whether we're born Jew or Gentile. We're one in Messiah. You can't hate yourself. You're one in Messiah. That is the law of commandments. If you're reading from an NIV, it stops there. But it's not supposed to. The law of commandments contained in ordinances. That word ordinances in Greek is dogma. Dogma never refers to the commandments of God. It refers to the man-made rules and regulations. How did God break down that enmity, that middle wall of separation? That was Acts chapter 10. When God told Peter that he should call no man common or unclean. So as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. Down to verse 19, now therefore, because Messiah has broken down that middle wall of separation, you are no longer strangers and foreigners. If you go back up to verse 12, you were strangers from what? The covenants of promise. You were foreigners from the commonwealth of Israel. Alien means foreigner. Paul says you're no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints. That is, you're now part of the children of Israel, the commonwealth of Israel, however you want to phrase it and members of the household of God. This is also at Galatians chapter 3. Galatians comes before Ephesians, so I don't know why I didn't put it first, but I didn't. Galatians 3, verse 29. We'll start in 26 for context, to make sure we understand 29. You realize if you start taking verses out of context, you can make the Bible say anything. One of the famous old stories I've heard over and over, and you probably have too, is a lady that took her guidance from just flipping through the Bible with her eyes closed, put a finger on a verse, and that's what God was telling her today. So she flipped over the Bible to the verse that said that Judas Iscariot went out and hung himself, and flipped the next place she went to, said, now go ye out and do likewise. Yeah. Don't do that. That's, that's not how God speaks. Okay. So Galatians 3.26, For you are all sons of God through faith in Messiah Yeshua. In other words, we were adopted into the family of God when we came to faith in Messiah Yeshua. Verse 27, For as many as you as were baptized in the Messiah have put on Messiah. There's neither Jew nor Greek, meaning neither Jew or Gentile. 
There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. For you are all one in Messiah Yeshua. And if you are Messiahs, then you are Abraham's seed. Another way to say that is the children of Abraham. And heirs according to the promise. The same promise given to Abraham was given to Isaac and given to Jacob who was renamed Israel. So when you come to faith in Messiah, you are Israel's seed or the children of Israel. Let's go back to Malachi 4 so we don't forget where we started from. And let's talk about that phrase, the law of Moses, which I commanded him in horror for all Israel. Go back to the book of Joshua, chapter 8. Joshua, chapter 8. Joshua comes after Deuteronomy, before Judges. Joshua chapter 8. Beginning in verse 30. Joshua chapter 8, beginning in verse 30. Now Joshua built an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, in Mount Ebal. If you don't have it, thee before God, just write one in there. As Moses, the servant of the Lord, notice here he's called a servant just like he was in Malachi. As it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of whole stones over which no man has wielded an iron tool. And they offered on it burnt, sac burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. And there in the presence of the children of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. Now let's go to Joshua chapter 23, verse 6. So Moses wrote the book, but what was the source of the content? That's in Joshua 23, verse 6. Therefore be very courageous to keep and to do. What does the word to keep mean? means to guard, to protect, to treat as valuable. What does to do mean? Do yeah, don't just think about it. Actually do it. All that is written in the book of the law of Moses, lest you turn aside from it to the right hand or to the left. To 1 Kings chapter 2. First Kings chapter 2. Verses 1 through 4. First Kings chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. We're at the time of King David. He's about to die. Now the days of David drew near that he should die. And he charged Solomon his son, saying... I go the way of all the earth. Be strong, therefore, and prove yourself a man. And keep the charge of the Lord your God. To walk in his ways, to keep his statutes, his commandments, his judgments, and his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. Where does David say the charge of the Lord 
his commandments, his statutes, his judgments, his testimonies, etc., are written in the law of Moses. So where did Moses get all these things? From the Lord. Verse 4 says, That the Lord may fulfill his word which he spoke concerning me, saying, If your sons take heed to their way, to walk before me in truth with all their heart and with all their soul, he said, You shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. Oh my. Why is there no king from the Davidic line on the throne in Israel today? Because we failed to do it, didn't we? We failed to do it. 2 Kings 23. Yeah, I'm building to a point. 2 Kings 23. Verse 25. 2 Kings 23. Verse 25. Now before him, there was no king like him, who turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his might, according to all the law of Moses. Nor after him did any arise like him. How would you like that to be what the Lord has to say about you come judgment day? <sighs> oh, my, my, my. To the book of Nehemiah. Or if you know Nehemiah Gordon, he says Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 8. Verse 1. Now all the people gathered together as one man in the open square that was in front of the water gate. That's where you go to get the water from the pool of Siloam to pour out at the Simchabet HaShoevah ceremony in John 7.37. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded Israel. Who gave the commandments? The Lord did. Go to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. Why is it important? Because in Matthew 4, 4, Messiah said, Man does not live by bread alone, but by what? Every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Luke 24, beginning of verse 43. Luke 24, verse 43. Messiah has arisen. He is alive. Verse 43 says, And he took it and ate in their presence. Spirits don't eat, right? The food would kind of fall right through. So it's just a proof that this is the resurrected Lord. Verse 44 says, Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled. There's plurao, the same word you find in Matthew 5, verse 17 which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. What does Messiah say the scriptures are? The law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. We would call that the Tanakh. 
Some people would call it the Old Testament, but, well, I like Tanakh better. Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15. Thank you. Verse 4. For whatever things were written before, talking about the law of Moses, the prophets, and the writings, or in other words, the Torah, the Nevi'im, the Ketavim, that's where you get the word Tanakh. It's an acronym from Torah, Nevi'im, Ketavim, the law, the prophets, and the writings. For whatever things were written before were written for what? So we could forget them. No, for our learning. That we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures, that's what are what were written before, might have hope. The purpose of the Tanakh is to point us to Messiah, to bring us to saving faith. And I think that's a beautiful thing. Go back to Malachi 4. Why, just after discussing the day of the Lord and Judgment Day, when we're all going to be held accountable and either categorized as God's servant or his enemy, that is the righteous or the wicked, does he say, remember the law of Moses, my servant? What does keeping the commandments of God have to do with righteousness? 1 John 3, 4. Keep a finger here. Go to 1 John 3, 4. What is sin? 1 John 3, 4, sin is lawlessness. In Greek, anomia. In my mutilated Hebrew English, Torahlessness. 1 John 3, 4. Whoever. What does that word whoever mean? All encompassing. Jew and Gentile makes no difference. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. That's how God defines sin. Growing up in the church, I kept asking, what is sin? The answer I always got is sin is missing the mark. And I say, well, thank God I'm not an archer, so I don't have to worry about it. I didn't have a clue. What is sin? Sin is breaking God's commandments. If you take it a step further, Paul in the book of Romans so I wouldn't know sin if it weren't for the law. I wouldn't know what sin was if I didn't know what the law was. I wouldn't know that committing adultery is a sin unless God said, Thou shalt not commit adultery. Verse 7, 1 John 3, 7. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous. What does it mean, he who practices Righteousness. He who does it, he who keeps the commandment of God. It's not those who hear the word, it's those who do the word. We looked at that last night. In 1 John 3.10, In this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. Is that pretty clear? If it's not, turn back two pages to 1 John 2 verses 3 and 4. I've said this a hundred times already this year. I'll probably say it a hundred more. John writes 30 years after the other apostles have died. And the church that they left behind 
is no longer so much under Jewish leadership as Gentile leadership, and they're starting to veer away from the commandments. And they're starting to teach antinomianism, that is, the commandments were abolished when Messiah was crucified. And John writes to say, you're getting off the track. How do you know the child of God from the child of the devil? He who practices righteousness is the child of God. So 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 says, Now by this we know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments is what? A liar, and the truth is not in him. Okay, this is not a lecture on the Torah, except that, well, God keeps bringing it up. So let's go back to Malachi 4. Remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in horror for all Israel with the statutes and judgments. Behold. What does behold mean? Shut up and listen. What follows is really important. Don't miss this. I will send you Elijah the prophet. It does not say in Hebrew, I will send. It says, I am sending. It's a participle. At the first coming of Messiah, John the Baptist fulfilled that role. But will there be an Elijah at the second coming? The answer is yes. That's why it's a participle, an ongoing action, ongoing promise. But at the first coming of Messiah, John the Baptist filled that role. How do we know? Because Messiah said so himself. And how did he come to prepare the way? What did he preach from the very first? Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Remember the law of Moses, my servant. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What was his point? If you want to be part of the kingdom, do you remember the law of Moses or do you forget the law of Moses? You remember it. Hmm. So verse 5, Behold, I am sending you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. Let's break this down. Let's go to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11, beginning in verse 13. Matthew chapter 11, verse 13. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to receive it, he, that is John, is Elijah who was to come. How should the people have already known that John the Baptist was in the role and the power of Elijah? Let's go to the book of Luke, chapter 1. To the time of the birth of John the Baptist. When the angel told Zechariah, you're going to have a son, he told him more than that, right? Let's start in verse 11. I grew up being told Zechariah is in the temple praying, Oh Lord God, my wife doesn't have a child. Please give her a child so she'll get off my back. That's not what he was praying. He was praying the Amidah. And the Amidah includes this end of Malachi about sending the forerunner of the Messiah. 
And in verse 11 it says, Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. What's the significance of that? What is Zechariah in the temple to do? To burn incense. So he's standing on the east side, and the angel now comes to the north side. And when Zechariah saw him, he was troubled. What does that mean? Terrified, scared to death. And fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer is heard. The Amidah, the coming of Elijah before the dreadful day of the Lord. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. Zechariah, Zechariah means the Lord remembers. Elisheva, Elizabeth, means the oath of God. Put their names together. The Lord remembers the oath of God. What oath? From Zechariah, from Malachi chapter 4. You will bear a son, you shall call his name John. Yochanan in Hebrew comes from the word for comfort. Comfort. Verse 14, you will, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, which means he's what? He's a Nazarite from the time of his birth. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb, which means before he's even born. How old was John the Baptist when he leapt in his mother's womb when Mary came into the room? Six months. And yet he was filled with the Holy Spirit and recognized Messiah even though Mary had just gotten pregnant with Messiah. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Verse 16 and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. There you go. It says to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, which is a direct quote from Malachi chapter 4. And the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Go to Matthew 3. Matthew 3. Verse 1. As you're getting to chapter 3, verse 1, just notice the last verse of chapter 2, verse 23, which says Messiah will be called a Nazarene. All the theologians I know say that's an error. That there is no prophecy be called a Nazarene. But that's not true. It's Isaiah chapter 11 verse 1. The word branch referring to Messiah in Isaiah 11. One is the word Netzer. From which we get Nazareth. Netzer Tov, the good branch. But chapter 3 verse 1 says in those days. But it doesn't say what days. It assumes you know. It's the... 40 days of teshuva or repentance begins on Elul 1 and goes to the day of atonement on Tishri 10. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying what? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Meaning you're not ready for the kingdom if you're still walking in sin. You must repent. Turn back to God. Then you're ready for the kingdom to come. Look at Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. 
As soon as Messiah defeats Satan, it tells us what he begins to preach. Verse 17, from that time, meaning from that time on, Yeshua began to preach and to say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Why would Messiah tell us to repent? Because he wants us to be ready for when the kingdom comes. Matthew 24. Question, please. Go ahead, Penny. Was was John? I John is a forerunner of Yeshua, but this it says he's a forerunner of Elijah. Yes, John is the forerunner of Elijah. We're going to look at another place in just a minute. We looked at Matthew chapter eleven, verses thirteen to fifteen, where Messiah said John the Baptist was Elijah in his first coming, doesn't mean he was a reincarnated Elijah. It means he was in the role and the spirit of Elijah, as Luke chapter 1 said. Matthew 24 is about the day of the Lord. It's about the tribulation period, which results in Messiah returning and setting up his kingdom. And look at verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom. What's the gospel of the kingdom? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We're supposed to be preaching the same message that John the Baptist preached. That Messiah himself preached. We're supposed to continue that message. If you have not repented, you are not ready for the trumpet to sound. You are not ready for Messiah to return. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the worlds and wisdom all the nations and then the end will come. Which end? Teleo, obliteration, or telos, the goal? Telos, the goal. The goal is return of Messiah for the kingdom. Let's go to Matthew chapter 17 to continue answering Penny's question. Matthew chapter 17 begins with chapter 16 verse 28. But you don't have to turn there. I'll just read it. Assuredly, I say to you, Messiah said, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Oh, how the rabbis have made fun of this verse. Oh, are the apostles still alive today? It doesn't say some shall not taste death until the Son of Man comes. It says until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And then in chapter 17, verse 1, there's a vision where they see Messiah come. So chapter 17, verse 1. Now after six days, oh my goodness, what comes after six days? Somebody please. The seventh day. The seventh day teaches about the millennial kingdom. The messianic kingdom here on earth. Yeshua took Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. Which mountain? If it mattered, God would have said. And he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. That's a reference to Ezekiel 43, the prophecy of Messiah returning, bearing the glory of God. And his clothes became as white as the light, shone like the sun. The significance of that is He's the source of the light. He's not reflecting other light. He's the source. 
Remember Malachi 4 verses 2 and 3 talked about the son of righteousness, S-U-N, referring to the fact that he's the source of righteousness. He's not bearing someone else's righteousness. He's the source. Verse 3, and behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them talking with him. What do you know? The two witnesses. How many volumes do you think have been written arguing over who the two witnesses are? And the general conclusion is Enoch and Elijah, of course. What does the Bible say? Moses and Elijah. Moses represents the law. Elijah represents the prophets. Messiah says what testifies of him? The law and the prophets. They're his two witnesses. Then Peter answered and said to Yeshua. Oh, here's another indication Matthew's written in Hebrew. Because the word answered in biblical Hebrew doesn't mean somebody's asked a question. It means it's my turn to talk. So ana in Hebrew does not mean a question was asked. So when it says Peter answered, nobody's asked a question. And said to Yeshua, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles. What is the Feast of Tabernacles? Prophesy. The establishment of the kingdom, Messiah returning to rule and reign. When he returns to rule and reign, he shines like the sun. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, by the way, Feast of Tabernacles is which of the feasts? Number one, two, three, four, five, no, it's number seven. The last one. Under, on, after six days comes the seventh day. After the completion of six of the festivals comes the seventh, which is the establishment of the kingdom. I just heard a very famous theologian this week who said, I, I finally understand the return of the Lord. You have to look back at Leviticus 23. Yeah, like, duh, okay. He said, did you realize Messiah died on Passover, was buried in leavened bread and rose of first fruits? What a shocker. Okay. Verse 5. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud. What do we call that in Hebrew? A bot kol. Saying. What does the word saying mean? It's a quote. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Well, he said that in Matthew 3 3, but he adds something here. Hear him. That's from Deuteronomy 18. In Deuteronomy 18, Moses said, God's going to send you a prophet like me from your brethren. He's going to give him the words to say. He's going to hold you accountable if you won't hear it. So God says, hear him. When the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. Wait till you see him in, in glory. Their noses are going to be all flat. They fall on their face so often. But Yeshua came and touched them and said, Arise, do not be afraid. When they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Yeshua only. Now as they came down from the mountain, Yeshua commanded them, saying, Tell the what? Tell the vision. They saw it in a vision. Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. His disciples asked him, saying, Why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? They say it because of Malachi 4. Yeshua answered and said to them, Indeed, Elijah is coming first. And will restore all things. He's one of the two witnesses that you read about in Revelation chapter 12. But I say to you that Elijah has come already. And they did not know him, but did to him whatever they wished. How did John the Baptist die? 
they beheaded him. Likewise, the Son of Man is also about to suffer at their hands. Why did they behead John the Baptist? Because he kept preaching, repent. And they got tired of hearing it, so they cut his head off. But verse 13 is the key, Penny. Then the disciples understood that he spoke to them of John the Baptist. All right, back to Malachi chapter 4. Almost done. And he will turn, verse 6, the hearts of the fathers to the children. What's most important is turning the hearts of the children back to God. That's what repentance is, is turning your heart back to God. Isn't circumcision in the heart just a New Testament concept? It's all the way back in Deuteronomy. Turn back to Deuteronomy 30. If I didn't know better, I think Deuteronomy 30 was an important chapter. Oh, it is. Okay. We spent a lot of time last night talking about Deuteronomy 30. I said before you today, life and good, death and evil. But before that, start in verse 1 of Deuteronomy 30. Let me give you a chance to get there. Now it shall come to pass. It's actually just and it shall come to pass. When all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse. The blessing was for obedience. The curse was for disobedience. The curse included the dispersion amongst the nations. Which I have said before, you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God drives you. And you return to the Lord. What does it mean to return to the Lord? It means to repent. Return to the Lord your God and obey his voice, which means to obey the commandments of God. According to all that I command you today, you and your children with all your heart and with all your soul. Does that mean just turn it back and say, well, okay, if we got to do it? No, that's not what God's looking for. With all your heart, with all your soul means that you want desperately to do what God commanded. That the Lord your God will bring you back from captivity. And have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where the Lord your God has scattered you. If any of you are driven out to the farthest parts under heaven, which includes Jasper, Georgia. It's about as far from Jerusalem as you're going to get. From there the Lord your God will gather you and from there he'll bring you. Then the Lord your God will bring you to the land which your fathers possessed and you shall possess it. He will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers. Here we go. Verse 6. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. Circumcision of the heart is the circumcision that God has always been looking for. Circumcision of the flesh is a promise of the circumcision of the heart that is to come. Circumcision of the heart is the fulfillment. Back to Malachi 4. Question? Yeah, go ahead. Um, is there a time frame when the circumcision of the heart descendants? When are they circumcised? God has called us to circumcise our hearts from the very beginning. But he promises that when it comes to the kingdom, all the hearts will have been circumcised. That's Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 34. 
So let's go to Jeremiah 31, 34. Jeremiah 31, 34. The ultimate fulfillment of what we just read in Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, is Jeremiah 31, verse 34. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I'll remember no more. Wait. So, yes, Hemant. <clears throat> um. That's, a, that's a, a, a line which always uh, astonishes me because I, I, I've never heard anybody preach on it, and yet I think it's the pivotal line uh, in the whole thing about the difference between the two covenants because it's saying uh, before the covenant needed intermediaries, the priesthood and all that sort of thing, whereas the new covenant, uh, you, you won't have to... Uh, as it were, get it from somebody else or through somebody else. It's directly you and the Lord. And I've never heard a preacher talk about it, but that, to, to me, seems to be the central statement of the whole thing. Yep, which is what leads us to John fourteen fifteen. If you love me, come and keep my commandments. If you love me, that means your heart has been circumcised. And you are obeying the commandments of God, not because you have to, but because you want to. Not as a servant where you're fearing punishment, but as a child where you're doing it out of love. Let's go back to Deuteronomy 30 for just one more minute. To follow up on that latest set of comments. Verse 16, I know we talked about it a lot last night, but let's just add a few words about it today. Deuteronomy 30, verse 15. See, I've set before you today life and good, death and evil, and that I command you today to love the Lord your God. That is circumcision of the heart. So Moses doesn't say someday in the future, but I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to keep his commandments, his statutes, and his judgments. So this is what God has wanted from the beginning. In the Garden of Eden, why did God tell Adam and Eve they couldn't eat from that tree? Because he wanted them to be obedient because they loved him. And instead, when Satan said, oh, that's a really good tree to eat from, they said, yum, yum. And they turned away from God. Mm. Back to Malachi 4. Yes, ma'am. Deuteronomy 30, go down to verse 19. It says, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you, because heaven and earth will be here through the entire reign of mankind. That I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore choose life that both you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God. That you may obey his voice, that you may cling to him. You know the difference between touch and cling? To cling is that I refuse to let go. 
for he is your life and the length of your days. So yes, as long as heaven and earth are here, Moses says, choose life. And how do you choose life? That you love the Lord your God, that you obey his voice, that you cling to him. That's 1 John chapter 5, verses 2 and 3, which says, what is the love of God? Meaning, how do we show God that we love him? What does it say? Let's go look at it. That's exactly what it says. But I want everybody to put their eyes on it. Yes, you want your descendants to live. And it's not just talking about life in this world, is it? It's talking about life eternal. Do we want our children to live? I'm sure we all do. And you know, that's not a blanket statement that says if you choose life, then that means your descendants are square away. They're good. Right. It does not mean that at all. You're going to teach them how to live. That's Deuteronomy 6, verses 6 and following. Teach them when they're getting up, going down, walking, whatever they're doing. Interrupt their schoolwork to tell them again. Love the Lord your God. Even if they tell you you're crazy. 1 John chapter 5, verses 2 and 3. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Is this saying anything different from what Deuteronomy 30 said? It's not. It's a consistent message. That if you truly love the Lord, you will be obedient because you choose to. Go back to Malachi 4. We're about to close out Malachi. You guys are going, woohoo, we get to leave earlier. No, uh-uh. Means we go to Zephaniah next. But verse 6 says, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. We just read in Luke chapter 1, verses 13 to 17, that John the Baptist was given that role at his first, at Messiah's first coming. And Elijah will do it at the second coming. But will it be Elijah returned or will it be somebody in the role of Elijah like John the Baptist was? The answer is, we'll see. And the hearts of the children of the fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. The Tanakh translates this curse differently. And I think better. Lest I come and strike the earth with utter destruction. Utter destruction. What will happen in Revelation 19 to all those who are not saved when Messiah returns? Just watch Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah, that's from Zechariah chapter 14. Steven Spielberg, of course, is Jewish. He read that and said, hey, that would make a nice movie scene. Not going to be so nice in real life, though. But we have now finished the book of Malachi. What do we say when we finish the book? You say, chazak, chazak. Which means be strong, be strong, and may we be strengthened. For how are we strengthened as believers? By studying the word of God. I'm now going to stop the recording.